Well, thanks, Adam. That's exactly what we're talking about today, is loving God and loving your neighbor. And so uh, we'll get to that passage in a moment. Uh, but let's begin, if you have your Bible, in Galatians chapter 6. I believe it'll also be on the screen. But uh, Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, this is a letter from Paul in the New Testament to the church in Galatia, in Asia Minor at the time. And uh, so we begin, Galatians chapter 6. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they're something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become the cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Verse 6. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you'll reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit... You will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let's not grow weary of doing what's right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whatever you have an op- uh, whenever you have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those of the family of faith. You reap what you sow, everyone. We've all heard this biblical phrase. More than likely, you've said this phrase probably at least once in the past year. You reap what you sow. You reap whatever you sow. It's a classic biblical truth. My benchmark on whether or not something's a classic is the ESPN Sports Center. If it makes it there, then you know it's pervasive throughout culture and it's a truth. And let me tell you, you reap what you sow. You've heard that on any sports announcer you've ever listened to. As a nation, uh, we're dealing with this. And the biblical question right now to all of us is very straight ahead. And I think it's rather simple. With regard to human equality, what are we sowing and what are we reaping? With regard to human equality, what are we sowing and what are we reaping? This morning is about racism and Marta and Garrett and I have taught this on this biblical subject time and time again over the years. This church's efforts about racism have pushed us into the east side of Kansas City, Missouri to fight against racism and its twin, classism. In other words, haves and have-nots. I don't think you can say racism without saying classism. They're both twins of each other and they're not good twins. Lakeland has moved into trying to bridge, put a bridge between the haves and the have-nots as well as those of different uh, races. And we have a long way to go, but it has pushed us there because of this biblical mandate. As a nation, we're currently attempting to yet once again make our common creed of one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, a reality for blacks. In the past, the protests have been about injustices. And I think back to the civil rights movement and the various riots and so forth that have gone on for, since that time. And they've been about injustices, the unfair housing, unfair jobs and wages, discriminatory advancement or lack thereof, biased laws, predatory lending, the unequal law enforcement, courts, and incarceration. Of course, all of these are present in the current outcry of injustice. 
But this time there is something different, everyone. And perhaps you're picking up on it too. But there's something a little different this time that's going on. Something different altogether is being addressed. And it's more precipitous in that what's being addressed is white privilege. Are you picking up on that? The white privilege. Or, in detail, white silence. The fact that nothing gets said. Or a white absence even. Or white solidarity. White solidarity. That thing where it says like even though you are not a racist and suddenly you're around some other people and something is said that's racist or slightly some sort of microaggression or whatever and then you fail to say anything or disagree with it. That's a form of solidarity. We keep what we keep. And then there's white righteousness where we try and make a righteous excuse for something like well, I've adopted children from China, so I'm not a racist. Or, you know, I, I worked down at Eastland, and I, I've cleared lots down there and worked on the house, so I'm not a racist. This way of self-justifying ourselves righteously. These sort of things. All about white privilege. This time around, the protests are more sophisticated. The issues dig deeper into the tapestry of what it means to be a free citizen in this country. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when the protests and the riots began a month ago, I called up our east side ministry partner, uh, Pastor Marvin Daniels. And I asked him his opinion of the situation. And Marvin told me a couple of things that have stuck with me for the last month. And first, Pastor Marvin said that consistently, his white brothers and sisters in Christ have been silent and have not shown up in solidarity with black believers and pastors. We've not shown up. We've remained silent. Secondly, Pastor Marvin told me that I should be listening and keep on listening, which was a way of saying like, keep your mouth shut and listen. And I took that to heart. I felt like Marvin at this time was speaking more truthfully and more forthright than he'd ever spoken to me before. What have I personally been sowing and reaping? What has Lakeland been sowing and reaping? What has our country been sowing and reaping? Apparently, whatever we've been sowing is reaping discord, anger, and protest, and even violence. Something is drastically wrong. You sow silence, you reap a riot. You sow power and privilege, you reap judgment, condemnation, and anger. Whatever we're sowing has a cause and effect to it, and that causation, the result, that reaping, is this that we've all been watching. You see, we sow distance and silence and hardly any attempt to understand black lives and then we reap outrage. People don't like to be ignored. To my white brothers and sisters, we are in a reaping time, not a sowing time. We wrongly think that we can suddenly start sowing change. We wrongly think that we can start sowing change. That we're going to fix the problem right here, right now, this afternoon. We suddenly think that we can fix things and make Black Lives Matter all in a day. We want to sow new programs, new snappy fixes. Doers going to do, fix are going to fix. 
That's what we think we need to do. We think we're in a sowing time of solving problems. And we're going to get it done. But it's a reaping time. And what should we do when, it's a, when we reap a pathetic harvest like we have now? Well, you take your pathetic harvest and you go to market. And you know what's going to happen. It's not going to produce a good price. It's a bad crop. And it ain't good. Reaping time is either the time when you rejoice because you're bringing in the sheaves. Or reaping time is the time to ponder what went wrong. What went wrong with last year's crop? What did I do wrong? Not enough fertilizer? Too much fertilizer? Did we have a pest problem? Or did we just neglect it? Ah, neglect. We didn't take care of the problems. We didn't take care of the crop. We didn't nurture it appropriately. I've talked about gardens a lot on retreats and so forth as a spiritual metaphor because gardens are a great spiritual metaphor. And what I've noticed is it's not enough to plant a garden in your backyard, some tomato plants and so forth. It's not enough just to sit around and like pick the fruit. You've got to tend the garden, you know. But here's what really happens in suburbia. Talk about a condemnation because I've done this one. You know what really happens is you plant a garden and you want tomatoes, but you neglect the garden. And what happens is, is the weeds grow up. I mean, they grow up. The crabgrass and the foxtail and all the rest of it all comes in. A bunch of weeds. I don't even know what they are. They all show up. And then us and our spasm get up some Saturday morning and we go out and we are going to weed the garden. And about two hours later, you've got that garden weed and everything's torn up and everything like that. And you've got a big pile, you know of weeds and you think like yeah all right back in the house we're good and then we don't do it again i think that's what we've been doing in culture spasms and fits really in a sense to try and manage what we look like so our garden out there looks good quick fixes and then we can go back to the way it was But it's reaping time and a time of neglect. We've not carried each other's burdens, as Galatians 6 told us to. We've deluded ourselves into thinking that we're just like everybody else, but only better, safer, kinder, less violent, more sane. We're not those people. We're we're us. So what's white privilege? (laughs) What's white privilege? Well, white privilege is like this. You're on second base, and you thought you hit a double. But instead, you were born on second base. You did not hit a double. Somebody else got you there. The truth is, we're born on second base. That's white privilege. Born on second base? Yeah, if you grew up with a father in your household, second base. If you know what an alarm clock is and what it's used for, second base. If you've been to a wedding and seen a marriage... Second base. If you know how to pronounce the word spaghetti so that when it comes time in kindergarten, first or second grade, and you sound the word out, second base. If you had access to a car or a ride to get to work, second base. If you got family financial help for school, work, 
a work wardrobe or a car loan or tools or plane tickets or job connection that somebody knew somebody. Second base. Israel had second base. They didn't know it either. Israel had the law, the Torah. It was written there in plain language. Right there, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law was given to them. Second base, it told them how to behave, how to organize, how to not be like the other nations around them. Second base. Then Israel had the prophets, the bulk of the Old Testament, the prophets, major and minor prophets. They're all right there. Told them, warned them that they were planting bad seed, that they were marginalizing the poor, that they were worshiping idols, they weren't taking care of business, they were cheating the markets. Second base. And Jesus warned his disciples what happens when you're, say, like a rich man and you let poor old Lazarus eat off your trash dump while you sit in fine dining with your purple. And you never give a second thought to the poor because you're born on second base. And Jesus warned him and said, the rich man, a rich man, he's going to reap a great chasm between eternal blessing and eternal anguish. He's not going to be a part of his people. He's not going to be in the bosom of Abraham. He's going to be cut off forever. This reaping time says that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, as Adam said. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, as well as the parallel in, the, uh, in Luke chapter 10. But Matthew 22, I'll just use that one. Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? And he said this to him. Jesus said this to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. You can sum up all that stuff for a thousand years or more. Right there in two commandments. Everything you got, love God. Everything you got, love your neighbor as yourself. Yet somewhere in there, we just keep asking, just like the man did, the Torah lawyer, the expert on the law who said, now, no, 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 wait. Now, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Ah, we're in trouble now. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus, in response, unloads the most famous parable ever written and ever spoken by him, the Good Samaritan. Once again, sports center worthy. The Good Samaritan. And that answers, who is my neighbor? I wonder, I wonder if the seed of Jesus sprouted in that man's heart that day, that, that religious expert. I wonder if he listened to Jesus that day. I wonder if he went home saying like, you know, maybe the Samaritans that I've hated my whole life, that I've been taught to hate, maybe, maybe they're actually good. Or did he go home that day saying like, that Jesus, he doesn't know who's a neighbor and who's not. I know who's a real neighbor and who's not a neighbor. Maybe that's what happened.
Because, brothers and sisters, there's still time for all of us. You have one lifetime. And during this reaping time, we have time to listen and to understand and take responsibility for our past, for our solidarity and our silence. It's not time to get in some spasm of let's fix it so we can all get back to normal. Believe me, we're not living in a normal. Between COVID-19 and racial unrest, it's a time for a new normal. And I think we're all trying to wrestle through it, and it causes a lot of anxiety. I have to admit, I don't like listening. I don't like wearing a mask. Has, have you met anybody who likes wearing a mask except for bank robbers? Nobody likes wearing a mask. I don't even think the bank robbers like wearing a mask. Nobody likes wearing a mask. And nobody likes listening. Somebody else is talking, we're all just thinking the next thing we're going to say. But this is the new normal. Strange, isn't it? That both listening and mask wearing are all about loving your neighbor as yourself. That listening and mask wearing are all about love your neighbor. Perhaps each time you put on a mask over your mouth these days, we can all be reminded to listen to our black neighbor. To not be so quick to figure out who's our, our neighbor and who isn't. So I have a favor to ask of all of you. I realize I, I really don't ask many favors. I think I don't. Do I ask many favors? Garrett will tell me later. Like read this book, watch this film, do this video. You know, I mean, we usually have some kind of application. It's like Adam gave us. But today I'm, I'm asking you to do something. And I think it's critical. And that's why I'm asking you. A couple of weeks ago or so, Phil Vischer, kind of spelled like Fisher, but Vischer. Phil Vischer, he created VeggieTales, okay? And Phil Vischer made a, about a 17-minute video answering a really direct question. Why are blacks so angry? Why are there protests and riots going on? Why? And then in very succinct fashion for 17 minutes, Phil Vischer just describes with statistics and numbers and graphs and the whole bit and very creative and so forth. It's not goofy or anything like that. It's not condemning. There's no real attitude about it or anything like that. He just tells you what's wrong. The most astounding thing to me is that we are actually, uh, blacks are worse off now than they were before 1970. If you want to figure out how is that happening, watch this video. It is linked when you click on the live feed for the service, uh, Paul Keel has put it at the bottom, a, a link to the video. So you don't have to sit here and start taking notes. Who's a Paul Fisher and VeggieTales, and it's called Race in America. It's right there on Lakeland's uh, webpage, okay? So dig down, take a look at it. It's part of the homework, just to tag with Adam on this thing of what you ought to do. I think you'll find it really good, very helpful, and if, if even encouraging, okay? And you'll feel really smart when you get done with it. So, I want Lakeland to all be on the same page here. Let's all get smart about this stuff. This is part of our listening that I'm asking for us. There will come a time soon enough for everyone when we want to sow the seeds of new ideas and solutions and fixes and projects. The Eastland House, even right now, is, is, is heating up. We got work going on down there. But for now, right now, the attitude is one of listening. The one is prayer. You wear your mask as an act of silent compassion for your neighbor. You know, let it be like a spiritual exercise. Cover your mouth. Open your ears. Let God speak. And maybe be those kind of people instead of the people who are just blabbing on and fail to love their neighbor.
Amen.